0: Hello and welcome to our episode on hypoarousal. Uh, the other week we, we hyperarousal were talking about hypoarousal and this week we're going to talk about what the opposite of that is. And um, We did touch a bit on it last time uh, and then we're going to go into more depth at this time.
1: If hypoarousal is the fight-flight response, then hypoarousal is the freeze phone, flop response. Yep. And both of those are responses when we're in the outer limits of what we can deal with.
0: Mm -hmm. So it's essentially the body's gone into shutdown, hasn't it?
1: It's a response to overwhelm. Mm -hmm. And it's another protective mechanism because both hyperarousal and hypoarousal are there to keep us safe. They're, they're, They're protective mechanisms for when we are at risk or when there's a perceived potential risk. And that's our body and our brain doing everything it can to maintain our integrity and our safety and our well-being.
0: Yeah, as you are saying just before we came on here, it was, um, as you said, body's protective measures. And as you said, it was preparing the body for any attack by a bear. So the body flops and it just anaesthetises itself to prepare for that assault.
1: Yeah, it's that almost that play dead response, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's it's if all else fails, if I can't, if I'm not aware of it, like if I can't hear it, I can't see it, I can't feel it, I can't experience it, then then in a way I won't be aware of the harm. Yeah, so it's a it'll go away.
0: Mechanism.
1: And if I'm if I make it through to the other side and I I have very little rec- recall or memory of it, then in a way that also is a further safeguard to my own well being. Yeah. I've gone through it without having to experience it.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're not getting those um, potential flashbacks? Are you like in hyper arousal where you might get the visual flashbacks? This is just completely numbing. Not getting any visual or visual auditory sensations from it, really.
1: Potentially, that's correct. But I think what we can't underestimate is is how distressing that, that shutdown can be because... Yeah. While it's essential at the point of origination in terms of protecting us and keeping our integrity safe, if that continues beyond that point of origination Mm -hmm. and it starts to kind of bleed into our our day-to-day lives when we least expect it, because maybe we are being triggered by something that our brain perceives as similar to, then that becomes something that's really difficult for us and can be really quite confusing for us to manage yeah so is it worth talking about because there is there's almost like a range within there isn't there oh. i mean when we're talking about things like the full-on, full-blown kind of dissociation that's kind of like extreme end of that hypo arousal but there are other things almost that are levels before that is it worth us briefly talking about maybe some of the symptoms the general symptoms of that hypo hypo arousal state yeah definitely
0: the more information we give the um listeners then the more informed they can be
1: Very true. So where I'm thinking, where I'm coming from in that is, 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 um, you might find that when you, when you're starting to to move into that hypo arousal state, you might experience emotional numbing where it almost feels as though your emotions are on, um, suppression, they're on lockdown. Nothing is very intense or, or you might feel as though you're just not feeling any emotional response to things at all.
0: Yeah. Um, and due to the lack of blood flow going to the frontal cortex of the brain, people may lose the ability to think and function that frontal cortex because they're just really that survival of the uh, million and reptilian brains. So basically a limbic system with the more primitive areas of thinking. And so yeah. it's more to do with survival than anything else.
1: Yeah, it's almost if you think think of your responses as almost layers of interaction with your surroundings. There are key elements which are absolutely essential for survival. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones that we hope we're gonna sustain the longest. Everything else in that state will then be stripped away in preference for sustaining of that. So anything that is almost like a higher function at that point in time will be ditched in preference for the basics. So that means, for instance, things like decision making you might find becomes much more difficult, um, because your logical processing of information slows down your ability to um, take on complex complex concepts, or think, or problem solve becomes much slower, much more, much more suppressed. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and that will go along with that lack of thinking is if you're not digesting food properly. So you get slower digestion. That can lead to lower energy. And then lower lower blood pressure as well. So you're not fully energized, feeling good about yourself.
1: Yeah. That means then that there's a knock-on impact of that. If everything's slowing down, mm-hmm. then that means that, that that can result in um increased feelings of exhaustion. So you just are tired. You're there's almost like a sedative effect that your body and your brain is having on you and when the digestive system slows down that means that all the nutrients the vitamins that you actually need in terms of that are also impacted so your ability to process that to get that becomes impacted you might find for instance that your appetite is really suppressed as well mm-hmm. so that the the urge to do these things is lessened as well your interactions with your everyday activity becomes much lessened
0: yeah so physical lethargy really at least what you're saying i think
1: physical and and mental yeah yeah it's and quite often people will will have that um that diagnosis of of depression i'm depressed mm-hmm. i'm feeling really down yeah and lit that and when they say i'm feeling down there's a literalness about that they are feeling down yeah, everything definitely. is yeah. down you know yeah. everything is suppressed that that fits really mm-hmm. really well our emotions are down our <laughs> ability for decision making is down
0: yeah well if we're feeling up then we wouldn't be feeling down would we we'd be the complete opposite we'd be <laughs> quite happy with ourselves we'd be we'd be in a better place of thinking if we were feeling up <laughs> would we not <laughs> yeah i know it's starting to it bloody obvious but uh...
1: <laughs> yeah but you do have a talent for it yeah <laughs> Yeah. But I think so we, sometimes I think we underestimate the impact that has on us. Yeah. So, for instance, I know at points where, where I have been under a huge amount of pressure in my life, where I've felt very overwhelmed, then even the simple tasks become incredibly difficult.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because the effort it takes to do that when all of your systems are down
0: yeah.
1: is tenfold. You know, mm-hmm. even decisions about what you're going to have for dinner, are you going to eat that day, become really difficult for us to navigate because yes. everything is so suppressed
0: absolutely i got diagnosed with clinical depression a good few years ago now and i was sent a form through mentally you know it just seems so simple that to fit it out just couldn't comprehend or work out how to do it and it's just like it's just far far too
1: much well similarly i remember um going through um period of my life where there was a relocation there was a house sale there was a relationship breakup and and little things little decisions simple decisions Mm -hmm. that normally on a day-to-day basis I'd have done without even thinking about without within split seconds I'd have been capable of became roadblocks that I couldn't get past
0: yeah
1: because I just didn't have the capacity at that point to process that on top of everything else and what i was feeling and experiencing at that point in time i had just shut down
0: yeah what took you or how did you manage to get over that into from being that state to more of a useful state for yourself
1: well that's about chunking things down into Mm -hmm. smaller smaller elements so that if a task in itself is too big, then I would break it down into component parts until I found a part that was small enough for me to action. Yeah, that I that I could I could process that I could make a decision about, and if I couldn't, then actually I would take that task and I, I developed what I would I would refer to as my kitchen table method of dealing with things, because very literally I was doing almost like doing a house clearance, preparing a house for sale, etc., and. As I was coming across things that I was having to make decisions about, whether you keep, whether you ditch, whether you recycle, whether you sell, whether you you pass on to someone else or whatever, I would get roadblocked on it. I couldn't make a decision mm. over what or where I did this or put this thing. So I would put it in the kitchen table and the kitchen table became quite a metaphorical thing in terms of the things that were blocking me. Everything would go in the kitchen table. And that act of putting it to the side whether that was an actual thing I had to make a decision about or just almost like a process or a or a, or an emotional decision allowed me then to take a step back and move round it. And over a period of time, because I was still navigating and still aware of it, I found that that it would find a solution for me almost in a way.
0: Mm-hmm. Because
1: I would because at that point of distraction. Then I would look at the kitchen table and suddenly realise that I had a decision about something that something that I was finding it really difficult to make a choice over would suddenly be picked up and put in the bin. And it was easy because that point of distraction had allowed me to move beyond it and then see that no longer as a roadblock. So there was a repositioning of it. But it also took the pressure off in the moment. Yeah. So it didn't become something that stopped me in my tracks. It just became something that I detoured around.
0: Okay. That's a good solution.
1: I, like that. Mm-hmm. I chunked down, split it mm-hmm. into bits that were small enough for me to deal yeah. with. And if I came across something that put the stop me in my tracks, then I put it to the side and took a detour.
0: Well, that sounds. Um, so we were having a discussion previously about overwhelm and go into Tesco's, were we not, or any super, any major supermarket really? <laughs> I mean, the products that they have on the shelves and. Somebody comes out of forces or has been in like an institution. They see all these products on the shelf and they go, wow, what's going on with all this? How do I cope with that? And get completely overwhelmed by that choice.
1: Rich, I feel like we were playing a game
0: of supermarket supermarket bingo.
1: We were. And I'm just opening up my supermarket shopping app right now. I feel as though we have a replay coming on here
0: you do
1: <laughs> so what we were talking about was the fact that if you and I think it's particularly relevant to things like things or any situation where you are part of an all-inclusive community where your job is not just a job but it's a way of life where it, everything is provided for you around you and the structure is very clearly defined and the military is a very good example of that that means the actual number of choices that you probably make over the course of the day are very specific, but also yeah. quite limited. Yeah, yeah. And the number of things that you don't have to make choices about are probably quite extensive because they're provided for you.
0: Yeah, pretty much. So it'd be like four choices, uh, three or four choices, maybe at dinner time in the, in the mess or wherever it is. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So then you find yourself in a big supermarket with the instruction to pick up something for dinner. So, how many choices in this large supermarket that I do online shopping occasionally with? And I'm not going to name one, but it's a very big one with the with the sort of balloon red logo. Yeah, how many choices do you think I've got coming up when I type in chicken?
0: I'm going with 115,
1: <laughs> six hundred and ninety. <laughs> Right. What would you like with your chicken? Shall we go for chips?
0: I'll go for chips. Right. There's got to be at least 30.
1: 105. 105. What about some frozen veg with that? Be Oh, I think it's glitched in this one. Because frozen vegetables has only come up with five, and I know there's oh. a lot more than that. <laughs> Hang on a minute. Shall we be a bit more specific? Go on then. Frozen peas
0: frozen what 20
1: oh my god 623 <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. and the final one
1: <laughs> ice cream do you want ice cream do you want, would you like dessert yeah
0: but as well i'm going for 800
1: Oh, you're going to be sadly disappointed. 257. Oh, I'm surprised. That's all. Mm -hmm. However, do you prefer tea or coffee?
0: Uh, We'd go for coffee. Right, okay. 860.
1: 121. How about about a good brew?
0: 430.
1: 133. Is that all? Uh huh. (gasps) Now, if I type in milk, however, in case you want milk and you tear coffee, you can go on, can have a guess. 98. Are you ready for
0: this? Go on in. It's slightly
1: higher than 98. How much higher? 384. 384.
0: 384. Wow. Mm-hmm. You can see how people get overwhelmed by the amount of choice. Instead of just focusing on Milk for argument's sake can go in right full fat or semi-skimmed or whatever it is, the goat. What we got? Almond milk, rice milk, and goddess, those Goat milk,
1: milk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lacto-free milk, although I'm not yeah. sure that actually qualifies as milk. But mm-hmm. yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. Long life milk. Semi-skimmed, skimmed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: You can even get added protein milk. Mm-hmm.
0: And yeah, all right. Mm-hmm. But you can see how this leads to overwhelm, um, people not being able to make those decisions when there's just as you say, they've chunked up massively and I can't see the wood for the trees, as it were.
1: Yeah, and that's where the chunking down principle comes in. Because, for instance, when I go to the supermarket, much as though it's one of my most despised tasks of the week, but when I go to the supermarket, There are already filters in place for when I start that process. Mm -hmm. So when I look at, for instance, like milk products, I actually am not looking at those 384. I'm only looking at half a dozen because I'm one of those those sad people that actually doesn't eat, doesn't have dairy. I have oat milk is my preference. So I only look at the six oat milk options. The other 370 eight are not on my radar
0: yeah but for for, but for other people they will be because those filters in place
1: yeah they haven't got those filters in place you know so if I go shopping for chicken I've already made a decision before I get there over whether I want fresh or frozen so that started Mm -hmm. to narrow down my options I've already made a decision over whether or not I'm going to be doing something that's requires cooking from scratch or whether or not I want something that's just going to be a fly in the oven or the pan and let it do its stuff. So again, those are all starting to to narrow down the field of options open to me. And that's one of the situations where actually adding more information in helps you narrow and simplify the choices.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, Without that overwhelm and all that. So people get confused. That'll lead to memory loss because not able to think and they go, oh, I've got the list. Maybe they've got the list in their head. And they go, do I, I don't remember what I'm here to get. Mm-hmm. they go back home and a spouse will go where's the chicken and where's the eggs and whatever bread and whatever else it is they go what you have gone and get peaches or something it's completely different instead
1: yeah or they might find that they actually get get you get to the supermarket you get within three feet of the of the front doors and it's just too much mm-hmm. yeah it's just the total overwhelm you're you you find that you're the, it either spikes you into that hyper-arousal state of anxiety or it gets to the point of hypo-arousal, which is what we're talking about today, where, where actually, as you say, the decision-making slows down and becomes impossible. You, Your brain shuts down and says, you know what, there's just too many options. Here, mm-hmm. So it's just not. We're not going to do this today. Yeah. And it, it actually physically prevents you. Right.
0: So that would lead to... Um potential disassociation wouldn't it where there's just too much information not able to cope with it and so you're mentally you're going that's not my body now
1: well in extreme situations yeah. it can very much and dissociation is is one of, one of those extreme ends of that of that hyper arousal mm-hmm. but it's important to talk about it because it can be very distressing it can be very
0: yeah.
1: unsettling when that when you're experiencing it because it can happen in a number of different ways. Now we're not going to talk about, for instance, like fugue state dissociation, because that's a whole different different thing. But we are potentially going to going to touch on things like um, depersonalization and derealization, which is what you were talking about there. And that's where it's almost kind of like we lose touch with ourselves. We lose touch with our sense of self Mm -hmm. we don't recognize our own thinking our own actions it's almost like we're operating outside of ourselves like we are on the outside of a bubble looking in observing ourselves Mm -hmm. and there's a distance between what we perceive ourselves as doing and our engagement with it it's like there's the separation where we're almost acting separately from the the person or version of ourselves that's actually doing the do
0: yeah so it's a basic complete disconnect
1: yeah and from a from a survival standpoint as you as we we mentioned at the very start there's a very very sound reason for dissociation yeah. to even exist in the first place and that is that in extreme overwhelming extreme stress and if there's imminent harm and generally when you go back to kind of like our our raw evolutionary selves and that would mean potential risk of significant injury pain or death then at some point the brain goes, Do you know what? It's probably better if you're not present for this. Yeah. And it kicks you out of the picture for a while.
0: Right. Oh, so it, the body's just been completely anesthetized, really, hasn't it? To so be prepared for possibly imminent death.
1: Yeah, and that can extend to the point where we can it can literally plunge us into almost that that full shutdown where we don't see our surroundings we don't hear our surroundings we don't feel our surroundings we might be physically present Mm -hmm. and we might have our eyes open be breathing or whatever but our awareness of that is non-existent because we're entirely internalized into into that internal very limited sensory place because everything is in lockdown yeah in extreme Uh, cases it literally can be almost a blackout
0: yeah how long do these this association you can go on for imagine years and years can't they because until somebody goes and seeks help in some sort of way then it's very hard to get back into that or it could be hard to get back into themselves into that body
1: they do they do is i think it's one of those things that um i would always recommend that you talk to somebody about you make them aware that you're experiencing this because this is something where something that that needs support, you need support and assistance mm-hmm. with in addressing that. That dissociation is very common, for instance, um, where you have maybe prolonged exposure to things like gaslighting. Um, you see it a lot in things like um, cult behaviours. You see it a lot in extreme trauma, where maybe the situation has been really overwhelming there's been extreme violence pain dissociation that sort of piece all of those make sense in terms of that response in terms of things like the gaslighting the the maybe where you've got um coercive control or where you have things like and um, that cult type experience that's there because it's almost as if you've, you've literally gone through an experience where people have repeatedly told you that that what you think is wrong yeah that what you're experiencing is wrong that what you are believing is wrong that 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 what your lived experience in that moment is wrong mm-hmm. and as a result it's almost pushed that wedge between you and your experience and that wedge has got wider and wider and wider until we yeah. no longer recognize that it's the, that that's part of you
0: and what goes wrong with that gaslighting is the love bombing as well so people get that high of Feeling really wanted, feeling needed, then they get that low of being told they're completely worthless or disregarded in some way. And then well, they get a bit bumped again. So they get that cycle of the up and down. And then don't there, know where to can stand.
1: Be, there can be in terms yeah. of that. And I, I'm just wondering if that's almost like a whole different episode that we do in terms of mm-hmm. that cycle, because the that's quite a complex linkage there and there's a huge amount that goes on in terms of the impact on the individual. Um you can there's a whole element in terms of trauma bonding within there as well because that triggers a whole host of um physiological responses that that become habitual, cyclical and to a certain extent almost addictive in their 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 hit. And one of those being that dopamine hit within that. But in terms of that disassociation again, that's that's a protective mechanism there. It's almost as if our brains have put a protective perimeter around our sense of self to mm-hmm. keep us separate from what's happening. yeah, but in doing so, it's almost like we've we've lost contact with ourselves. We are still there. It's just that because we don't recognise the two halves as being the same part of that person, because yeah. we're not as intricately intricately attached to to all of that or intertwined, then it can feel very abnormal like it like it we're observing somebody else's life or somebody else's experience
0: mm-hmm. and that can also be linked to feelings of things like shame as well because depending on the job role what somebody may be doing, they may feel that they should have actually done something about that situation um. You know, maybe some guy who's six foot four, good 18 stone, and he gets attacked or assaulted and beaten up by somebody who's four foot five. And they may feel shames and guilt about all that and then disassociate in that way as well.
1: Yeah, and a, there's it's quite often that point of disassociation or dissociation will be linked to, and it, that comes down to that kind of initiating moment Mm -hmm. and it can either be a one-off event that's pushed you into that response that defense response because it is a defense response or it can be a sequence of events that have gradually as i said created that wedge that's got wider and wider and wider until you don't recognize so either of those are both viable options in terms of that that almost the 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 initial instigating event where it's a one-off then that that's literally where your brain has a, probably at some point taken the decision that is best that you play dead. Mm-hmm. That's where you're a straight into the flop almost response, where yeah. it's it's been in your best interest not to remember, recall, experience, visualise, feel any of what's going around values. Mm-hmm. You down.
0: And the other side of things that it could be that somebody's started breaching somebody else's boundaries very slowly then start increasing that boundary breach and then make it more and more of a breach Like as you said like that big wedge mm-hmm. where it just gets you're so used to that situation you think it's quote unquote normal and it clearly isn't
1: that comes down to the the i think you and i've had these conversations before rich It's mm-hmm. it's where we have an experience that becomes so prevalent within our life that over a period of time we cease to recognize that it isn't yes yeah. standard we start to then process that as part of our normal so that it's almost like we become nose blind to our emotional state
0: mm-hmm.
1: and in doing so we stop recognizing what we're actually emotionally experiencing or not experiencing.
0: Yeah um, Would you about explaining nose blind to people who've never heard that term before <laughs>
1: So nose blind is that simple, lovely fact that your nose only smells or recognises or or flags new smells. And that's because if it flagged and processed and made you aware of every single scent that you came across every second of every day, you would be in, in sensory overwhelm with the sheer volume of them. That's why over a period of time, um, we don't smell our favourite scents if we wear them a lot, whether that's aftershave mm-hmm. or perfume or body or body moisturisers or whatever your favourite soap. We become blind to that scent because it becomes part of our normal template that that needs no notice or or obvious processing. So we become nose blind. To put it bluntly, that's why when somebody farts, we always notice because mm. that's that's unusual, it's introduced into the surroundings and we're immediately aware that that's different.
0: Oh, yeah. Depends if it's silent Well, yeah.
1: <laughs> but even, yeah, even then. <laughs> <laughs> because it's immediately out of pattern. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, if we apply that concept of nose blind to other senses, it applies equally to that as well. Yeah. And one of those is our emotional engagement. Yeah to become emotionally blind to our own emotional state because we now no longer see that as different from but part of our normal pattern. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And we can end up with maladaptive or coping strategies. And these can range from a whole host of things like self-harming, which is maybe to make somebody feel alive and get back into their body from that disassociation
1: well if we are if we are aware that there is a range, and quite often what goes with that dissociation of what can be so distressing is the awareness that we are not experiencing mm-hmm. the the wealth of emotions that we should that we we are aware of the the dampening of our experience yeah. it, numbness the numbness mm-hmm. of it, and we're recognizing that this isn't something that is normal and while that can apply to all of our emotions because if, if we're applying a filter, unfortunately... Limiting
0: our range of, as you say, limit our range of emotions. So you might know just have a word for happy, sad, angry, Um something else I can't think what is top of my head. Instead of saying happy could be joyful, you could be feeling loved. Sadness, it, yeah, or angry could be raging, could be whatever else. It just express more and more about what that motion is
1: emotions come in a range yeah. and they come in a range of intensity as well but when we are experiencing the numbing when we're experiencing that hypo arousal that numbing is applied as a universal dampening mm-hmm. it's not selective it doesn't apply to one emotion and not another it's a blanket term that goes over the lot Yeah, and that means then that that all of our emotional repertoire and the array is dampened and downed and, and subdued. And that's the situation when it's when it's very intense, when the numbing is really intense, then that can be where when we're aware of that, it can be distressing. For instance, that might be, for instance, where you're experiencing a point where you know you should feel sad, yet you can't express those emotions. Yeah. You are numb to it, where you know that you should be feeling really happy because this is something to celebrate that you're experiencing yet you are numb to it yeah and in those situations then then sometimes yes people people revert to that that self-harming because that's a means of feeling something Mm -hmm. when there's a total absence of anything
0: yeah and i think as well when in that state of numbness and people aren't expressing any emotion other people may see that as them being apathetic or not caring, as well. So people can get if they don't know your someone's personal circumstances, they can then get that wrong message about who that person is and what they're about.
1: Well, the other thing which is sometimes also a big risk is that they might actually underestimate the impact that's having and perceive you as being okay when you are very far from okay Mm -hmm. yeah because you are not experiencing or demonstrating these strong waves of emotion they will assume that you are okay that and what they then may not recognize is that you're actually operating from that state of suppression Mm -hmm. that that you can appear to be very calm very controlled and very very moderated but actually that's the issue, yeah. That's the problem.
0: Well, the classic examples are when somebody greets somebody and says, Hey, how are you doing? and somebody will go, Yeah, all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't want to hear the whole conversation of, I ain't feeling too well, uh, too good today. The, yeah, it's just a very um, thin veneer of what we're looking at mm-hmm. and not going into. The, deeper as to who that person really is and what what's wrong with them if there is anything at all
1: well the other thing sometimes rich is that we actually stop recognizing it in ourselves as well and that's also the risk Mm -hmm. so that so that i remember um a period in my life where i was very sad for a very long period of time but it became to the point where i no longer recognized that i was sad Yep. I actually had no rec- uh, no com- no comprehension that this was what I was. And people, and I remember like a rare occasion where somebody would make a comment and I would be in total denial about it because yeah. I, I, it didn't make sense to me. It's like, how can you possibly think that's the case? Because I had no longer any capacity to recognize that because it was so deeply imprinted into my into my pattern of normal. That I didn't see, I didn't didn't have the capacity to acknowledge that that was there. Yeah.
0: So that became your normal.
1: It oh, was yeah. my normal. Uh-huh. Yeah. That that to me was not something of note or something of worth or something that was even out of place. And therefore, when somebody suggested that it was, I I didn't recognize it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So that, in a way, meant that, and that's that's quite common with that dissociation, with that numbing, with that hypo arousal. Is is when it's sustained for a period of time, then it gets to the point where you can be at the point where you don't even recognise that in yourself because it's so deeply entrenched. You, you, it's almost like you've forgotten what anything else is,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because this is this is just it, yeah. and that's that's where you where the feedback of others can sometimes feel even even alienating also
0: yeah people don't want to hear the truth if or i perceive truth
1: well i think sometimes also the other element is that they is that in those situations we've maybe lost the capacity at that point in time to see anything else yeah and it takes something quite startling to push us into a point where we are able to reassess and go, do you know what? Actually, this is an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes it's when we stop feeling that way that we recognise that that this has been very wrong for a very long period of time.
0: Yeah. Stuck in a proverbial pit without any escape route that they can see or no at like the end of the tunnel.
1: Yeah, but you don't actually realise you're in a pit.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So in terms of that numbness, in terms of that hypo arousal, I suppose it comes back to that concept of, um, and we've used it repeatedly, is every response has a positive intention behind it, it's just that sometimes they become out of place, they are sustained beyond the point where they are useful to us and start to become something that is a habitual response to things, that becomes quite a significantly limiting factor in our experiences of life
0: yeah so we take on as as mentioned before is maladaptive behaviors to potentially feel something Um, or the other extreme end of things is isolating yourself from having to deal with people Mm -hmm. having to cope with other people's um foibles i suppose whether they're good or positive or however they come across to be
1: well, if you're also in that point of denial where you no longer recognize the level of dissociation you have mm-hmm. from your emotions, the level of shutdown that you're experiencing and people insist on pointing that out to you.
0: Yeah, you don't want to
1: hear it. You don't want to hear it. No, you're not in a place where you can process that or believe it. You, You're in total denial of that. So therefore, you will avoid that conversation. And the irony, the final irony is, is that our brains will look for congruence. Mm -hmm. It likes patterns. Our brain's like a giant matchy-matchy machine.
0: Yeah. Well, we mentioned that on the other podcast on last week was the reticular activating system. So whatever we decide to focus on, we're going to notice that a lot more than other things. So if you buy yourself a brand new BMW, you're going to notice a lot more BMWs for argument's sake.
1: Yeah. And the other part of that matchy-matchy that machine is that if we are feeling down and depressed, if we are feeling lonely, then our brain will seek to replicate that for us because that thinks that it's what we're looking for. So it will start to suggest that we isolate further. We will mm-hmm. withdraw from people around about us. We will withdraw, withdraw yep. from social interaction because in doing so, our actions then match our emotional response.
0: Which could then lead to something like claustrophobia. Do you not want them to leave the house or wherever you're living? Well,
1: ag- or agoraphobia, where you per you you've literally become locked into a very mm. small, small circumstance. It can do. It can lead to that social anxiety. It can lead yeah. to um, being anxious about out in those social settings because we've withdrawn so much that that becomes part of our pattern. You look at COVID. COVID was a classic example where we were all in such a prolonged state of isolation for so long that actually the thought of social interaction for a lot of us became really quite stressful. Mm -hmm. You know, not only was there the inherent risks associated with that that we were told about repeatedly, but there was also the fact that fundamentally we were all out of practice. Yeah. Because because social interaction is a practiced skill. Mm -hmm. And if we don't do that for a while and we don't socialize, we, we become a bit rusty in those skills. And that's something that then has to be built up in terms of our comfort familiarity with again. Very much so. So we've covered quite a lot there. I, I think so, Ali. Yeah. So we've covered off the kind of the basics of that hypo arousal, that numbness, the potential for dissociation, the um the depressive response that it has, the the fact that it's there to protect us, to mm-hmm. safeguard our thinking and and in a way to make sure that if there's something particularly traumatic or difficult for us that we don't actually have to experience it. We can literally block and sift it out. Mm -hmm. But then we've also covered off...
0: Overwhelm and how to chunk down. Well, not necessarily how to chunk down, but look at a smaller picture and make that smaller picture more accessible and easier to utilise for yourself.
1: Yeah, that sometimes... Put
0: those things on your kitchen table.
1: Well, sometimes in a situation where we're overwhelmed with choices, actually more information is the route through because the more information helps us limit the choices we then have to make. Yeah. And that kitchen table, yeah, find a way if if, if you're being blocked in, in, in terms of making a decision, then put it to the side and detour around it. Chunk mm-hmm. it down into smaller component parts so you find a part you can make a decision about. Yeah. And
0: focus on what you're wanting, I think
1: yes yeah yeah so in terms of closing out for this week i suppose my my what i wanted to say to you is if any of what we've talked about today is sounding vaguely familiar um, is something that you are aware resonates with you then please do speak to somebody about it have a conversation with your gp about it have a conversation with um other people that may have experienced similar make people aware that this is what you're experiencing seek help mm-hmm. because this is something that that can that can change for you it's not something you have to, have yeah. to live
0: you're not alone there's plenty of people out there who gone through similar things maybe not experienced exactly the same things as you but they've well, gone through that
1: it's important to remember that what enriches life is the is the is the array of our emotions that's the colors that 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 enrich it they are there for a reason Mm -hmm. yeah
0: look at the color wheel or that motion chart yeah
1: yes so in terms of how people can um access this this we're available on a range of podcast platforms so hopefully you're listening to us on one of them just now Mm -hmm. but if you wish to contact us you can either through the email address that's associated with the podcast and you'll find the show notes or through any of our social media platforms. So at the moment that's Facebook and LinkedIn and soon to be a website as well, too. Yep.
0: Yeah, awesome. Thank you, Ali.
1: Thank you, Rich. And we'll we'll be back next week.
0: Yeah, awesome. Take care.